Good morning, ministers. Thank you to the praise team. An excellent time of worship this morning. You know, you don't get to choose whether or not you're going to be born. And you don't get to choose your own family. That point became abundantly clear to me when I was 16 years old. My brother Billy had been out on an all-day fishing trip and he came home late into the night. And he caught a huge salmon. It was as long as our bathtub. And I know that because he put the fish in the bathtub. And the fish was still alive. And it was his tradition when he would catch fish to bring them home and put them into the bathtub and kill and dress them right there in the tub. And I always enjoyed when he would come home with the salmon. I love that baked salmon fish fresh with the butter sprinkled on top with some lemon. It was delicious. But I detested the process of beheading and cleaning a fish. I detested that process, especially in the tub where I'll have to clean myself later. I detested the whole thing. And so I stood there in the bathroom door, as I always did, watching him clean this fish, chop the head off of the thing and pull out the innards of the, the animal. And I was very uncomfortable. And my brother Billy could tell I was uncomfortable. So you know what that terrorist did? <laughs> he took the head of the fish and started chasing me around the house with this fish head. And I ran as fast as I could to get away from him and got into my bedroom and closed my door and leaned up against it. He was bigger than me, so he was pushing as hard as he could to get in and I was holding the door saying, no, mom, mom, make him stop, make him stop. Terrorist he was, I was freaked out. And I remember in that moment, in that moment, thinking to myself, what is wrong with this family? And how did I come to be a part of this? These people are crazy. My brother is crazy. It was a humorous thought at first. As I began to ponder it more and more, I didn't choose my family. That thought began to strike me rather profoundly. I didn't choose my family. You didn't choose your family. Nobody does. And just as we have no say in the selection of our family or family members, the minister of God does not get the choose, to choose the people that God will assign her to. It's not the minister's choice. And this is one of the lessons we learned today as we continue to rehearse God's calling of Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 2. We recall from last week that Ezekiel has seen this vision of the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, whose upper torso is like alloy steel, and his lower body is a flame of fire. 
And so great was the sight that Ezekiel, he says, he fell to his face in fear. Ezekiel recounts for us in verse 1 of chapter 2 that God said to him, Son of man, stand up on your feet and I will speak to you. Son of man, be comfortable in your own skin. Son of man, don't shrink away in fear and in feelings of deep insecurity at the presence of your God, your creator. Son of man, stand on your feet. We learned last week that we are to revere God. We are to honor God. And we are to honor God as much as we are able. But God does not require that we become self-accusatory, self-condemning, or self-deprecating before him. In fact, when we are truly aligned in, conscience, in, in our consciences and in our intentions with God, we become less self-aware. As the vision of God and his impression fills our entire spiritual being. And this is what happens to Ezekiel. He says in verse 2 that as God spoke to him, the spirit entered him and set him on his feet, and I heard him speaking to me. And this is what it is like to be filled with the Spirit of God. It is to be set on your feet. It is to be who you are without fear that God will not receive you. It is to be comfortable in the presence of God to be so confident in God's grace that you become certain of the fact that you are one of his own and that you are one with him. This is what it is like to be filled with the Spirit. It is that great mystery of godliness that Paul describes. That by the filling of the Holy Spirit, we become conscious of the truth that we are flesh of Christ's flesh and that we are bone of his bone to the point where we realize that we and Jesus Christ are one. Ponder that for a moment. That we, that I, a child of God and Jesus Christ, I am one with Christ. That is the grand vision of our salvation. Paul explains it in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, where he says that the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Not two spirits, not Calvin's spirit and Christ's spirit. The one who joins himself to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. That is a way to look at our salvation that many believers never really ponder. That we have actually become one with Jesus Christ. Charles Spurgeon once said, there is no joy in this world like union with Jesus Christ. And the more we can feel that union, the happier we are. The more we can sense and believe that we are one with Jesus Christ, the more happy we are. I agree. 
This is such a truly profound observation on his part that as I am able by faith to allow myself to be immersed into the truth of my union with Jesus Christ, then I become able to live confidently before him and to be most comfortable with my own self. Because brothers and sisters, as we immerse ourselves daily in this truth and in the implications of being one with Jesus Christ, that distinction, that fine line between myself and Jesus Christ begins to diminish more and more until the two of us become one. So that, what is the purpose then? So that, so that, when I stand or when I sit before Jesus Christ, it is no longer I who am sitting before him, but it is Christ himself taking counsel with his own self. And that is what prayer is. I've said that to us before, that is what prayer is. True prayer in the spirit is God taking counsel with his own self. When you pray according to the spirit, it is no longer you who are praying, but it is Christ speaking his will through you. That is the essence of prayer. Prayer in the spirit, oneness with Christ. So that I decrease, as I am filled with the Spirit, I decrease and Christ increases in me. To the point where it is no longer I, Paul says, but it is Jesus Christ living in me. And the life I now live is not my own. <laughs> and when I am filled with the Spirit of God, then and only then can I hear him. And I can hear him as plainly and as clearly as I hear my own thoughts. You see, Ezekiel's terror of God had diminished his senses and had paralyzed his own will. He was like a dead man at the sight and at the sound of God. He could not communicate or commune with God because of his own self-awareness. But once he is filled with the Spirit of God, he's able to stand before God now. He's able to hear God when he speaks. He's able to hear God calling him into, into ministry. Ezekiel reports that after the Spirit entered him and he stood upon his feet, then he said to me, God said to me, son of man, I am sending you to the sons of Israel, to the chosen people. In New Testament terms, God would be sending Ezekiel to the church, his chosen people. I am sending you to my chosen people. Now, unfortunately, for many ministers, for many, many ministers, this is the point at which our own human intellect interrupts God's conversation. Calvin, I am sending you to the south side of Chicago. And the moment he says it, I interrupt the conversation. My own human intellect takes over. 
This is the point at which our presuppositions, our intuitions, our personal impressions hijack God's mission. Example, the young man senses himself to be called to serve a particular people group, maybe serving someone in Africa. And according to the best religious practices, his first assignment then is to exegete the target community. That's what we do. I feel that I'm called to this people. Now I have to go and spend a year or so exegeting the community, coming to understand the people that God is calling me to serve. That's, that's Christian best practice. To learn the demographic makeup of the community, from race, race to ethnic breakdown, income and education, cultural leanings. The minister feels he must come to understand the people group and then he can develop his approach based upon their needs. That sounds right. Ezekiel is being sent then to a dispersed Israel, exiled in Babylon, exiled abroad across the world. Ezekiel is being sent to a people who have been stripped of their culture separated from their heritage, and in desperate need of their God. And from the moment God says to him, I am sending you to the sons of Israel, this would likely be Ezekiel's impression of his people as he observed them there sitting by the river, homesick, deprived of their culture, deprived of their creaturely comforts, ashamed and dismayed. I can just hear Ezekiel saying, wow, this, this requires a mercy ministry. They need a mercy ministry. They're broken down. They're sad. They're being deprived. They're being marginalized. As I exegete the community, this looks like a good opportunity for a mercy ministry. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should open a food pantry. Maybe I should provide some social services. I see their need, I understand these people, I know what they need. Maybe I should create a counseling ministry. These people are hurting, they don't need to be judged, they need to be embraced. Yeah, sounds right, seems to make sense. But this is how, brothers and sisters, this is how Human sympathy can sometimes override and overrule God's assessment of human need. When we minister by sight rather than by faith, these are the kinds of ministries we create by empathetic default. Ezekiel may see these people as being helpless victims. You may see the community that you're called to serve as helpless victims. But that's just your impression. God gives Ezekiel his impression of the sons of Israel. He says, Ezekiel, I am sending you to the sons of Israel, a rebellious, whoa, <laughs> wait a minute now. Babylon has destroyed their whole country they don't have any means, they can't vote, they don't have any rights in Babylon, come on now, you can't be. You, I am sending you to the sons of it, a rebellious. Uh-oh, that doesn't sound like it's about to be a mercy ministry. This sounds like something else. 
<laughs> I am sending you to a rebellious people who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have revolted against me to this very day. So I am sending you to those who are impudent and, 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 and obstinate children. Whoa. 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 <laughs> That's God's impression of the sons of Israel. Beyond what you can see with your natural eyes, beyond your sense of human sympathy, God has a problem with them. Well, I'm going to Africa and the children don't have much food, they don't have much water, and so I'm going to do a mercy ministry. I feel sorry for them. I know God feels sorry for them too. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe God has a problem with them. Maybe the message he wants you to carry is not a message of mercy, but a message of judgment. What if? <laughs> If you just exegete the community through your own human intellect, you won't come to that conclusion. No, no, no. You'll start digging wells. You'll start building houses. You'll start you're generating electricity for the people to have light. We are not called. We do not call ourselves. We are called by God. The assignment that we receive must come from God and not be based upon our own sight, our own opinion of the situation. Opinions and situations that we do not really know. Hmm. From a human perspective, we see them as victims. But you know what? God knows how they came to that regrettable state. God knows how they got there. God knows the backstory. Hmm. I was walking from work one day downtown Chicago, ran into a homeless guy. He was truly homeless, looking in the garbage can. I walked up to him. I walked up to him and offered him some money, and I gave him a little money, and we started talking. And he was giving me the speech and how bad it is to be outside in the cold. And I wasn't thinking it, but I said it. I said, it's your own fault that you're out here. That doesn't sound very merciful. You can't tell the homeless person that it's his own fault. Not everyone is out there because of their own fault, but some of them are out there because of their own poor decision making. Sometimes God wants to tell people the truth. No, 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 sorry, not sometimes. God always wants to tell people the truth, but he tells you the truth incrementally as you're able to bear it. Apparently that brother was able to bear it. I just said it. You're out here because of your own choices. And you know what he said? You're right. And he started recounting to me the things he had done and how he came to be in that state. You know, what I'm saying is sometimes human sympathy, sometimes human sympathy is not what people need. Sometimes they need accountability. Sometimes they need hard truth. But if human intellect takes over, you'll just do your little exegeting of the community and you'll go out there and you'll just do what is obviously necessary. But you won't help their souls. You'll just fill their bellies. <laughs> human perspective sees them as victims. God knows the backstory. And this is a lesson that every minister has to understand, that every human, every people group has a backstory. Every human, every people group has been on a journey, a journey that only God is completely aware of. 
so that the minister cannot depend solely on his impression and his intuition. But the minister must be attuned to God's heart towards individuals and toward communities because God's thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are not our ways. And our opinions in the ministry do not matter to God. Israel at that point was indeed helpless and feeble. Yes, they were. But that was not their most pressing problem. Their most pressing need and the need that God is sending Ezekiel to address is their proneness to rebel against him. That's their real problem. And when you read it, you begin to immediately realize that God is not sending Ezekiel to mitigate Israel's material plight. That's not the mission. God is sending Ezekiel to address the spiritual predicament that has brought Israel to this terrible state. Their rebellion has brought them to the dust and no amount of soup kitchens and no amount of social services is going to get the majority of them back on the right spiritual path. You know what it's going to take? If you've read the book of Ezekiel, you see it. You know what it's going to take? It's going to take some heart-to-heart conversations. It's going to take some difficult encounters. It's going to take some uncomfortable truth if Ezekiel is going to have a kingdom impact among these people. In other words, it's going to be a hard ministry. And you can tell that already just by how God just, just approached the subject. I'm sending you to a rebellious, obstinate, impudent people. No one, no minister wants to be called to castigate people who are already feeling insecure. Nobody wants to do that. Not even unsaved people for the most part want to castigate or criticize people who are already feeling insecure and worthless. But I'm reminded of Jesus in John chapter six. After he fed the 5,000 with women and children, He performed a miracle in their presence and the people said, you know what, this guy needs to be our king. We're gonna make him king. And the Bible says when Jesus realized what they wanted to do, he withdrew himself from them. And in the middle of the night while everyone was asleep, Jesus left them. Hungry people, Jesus left. And so in the morning when they got up and they couldn't find Jesus, they walked around the sea to find him. When they found him, they said, how did you get here? When did you get here? We want to make you king. You know, we want some more food. This is what Jesus says to them. John chapter 6, verse 26. Jesus asked them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate some loaves and fish and you were filled. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him the Father God has set his, that's God's response to their material needs. You're following me because you just want some food. I'm telling you that you're working for the wrong thing. You need to be working to be introduced to God, to become familiar with God. That's the real blessing here. I know you have physical and material needs, but I did not come to set up a food pantry. I have not come to forever alleviate your creaturely wants and needs. Your motives are wrong. You want me to spend the rest of my life focused on your personal comfort, but ministry isn't all about your comfort. Sometime God wants to send you a message that may make you uncomfortable. Sometimes God may send you as a minister to deliver a message that is uncomfortable. 
Who wants to sign up for that kind of ministry? Who wants to have one of those lamentation and woe ministries? No hands, not even my own. Who wants to be viewed as the minister of gloom and doom? What kind of Christian wants to hurt people's feelings or come down hard on people? Nobody wants to do that. None of us would want that kind of ministry. In fact, most ministers prefer to avoid as much conflict and tumult as humanly possible. And that's why we do not minister out of God's heart, but so often we minister out of our own hearts. But the minister does not go in his own name. The minister does not go for his own reason. The minister does not go based on his own impression of the situation. The minister serves at the behest of God. And the minister speaks for God and not for himself. Let me say it again. The minister speaks for God and not for himself. God told Ezekiel, you shall say to them, this is what the Lord God says. Not what I say. This is what the Lord God says. And interestingly enough, maybe not even the way I might feel. Let me say that again. This is what the Lord God says, not necessarily how I feel. Is that possible? Oh yes, it's possible. Ministers do it all the time. Sometimes ministers have to say things to people that they don't even want to say. Sometimes ministers have to pick fights with people that they don't even want to pick. Ministers serve at the behest of God. And you say what needs to be said, whether you like it or not, whether you feel like it or not, whether it aligns with your opinion or not, you are a servant of God, not of yourself. That's hard lesson right there. That most ministers do not make that trek, man. Mm -mm. Because sometimes God wants to say things rather directly and rather abruptly and you want to try to finesse it and make it, make it, make it feel good and God, no, just say it like this. Say what I said. No, I'm not saying that. That's going to cause too much conflict and chaos. I, I, can't, I can't do that. God, well, you're not my servant then. Just because you don't feel it doesn't mean it's not true. Just because it may not be your opinion, just because you don't necessarily understand it, doesn't mean it's not true. You're called to repeat after God as a minister, not to repeat after your own opinions. What am I saying? I'm saying this, that there is no cookie cutter ministry model that every minister has to follow. God deals with various people in various ways by various means based on his own assessment of their situation. And God is not always conventional in his methodology. So back to the text. Not only are the sons of Israel up for a kingdom tongue lashing, that is going to upset all of their apple carts, it is very likely that Ezekiel is going to be just as uncomfortable delivering the message as the people are going to be when they receive it. There's gonna be a whole lot of discomfort. 
Ezekiel's going to be uncomfortable delivering a hard message. The people are going to be uncomfortable hearing a hard message. Yeah. But the only person that the minister wants to make sure is always comfortable with his service is God. The primary person that the minister wants to make sure that he does not grieve is the Holy Spirit. Let people be as grieved as they must be. The only person the minister wants to ensure that he does not grieve is the Holy Spirit of God. And this is why she must be filled with the Spirit, so that she doesn't interrupt or interfere with God's work through her own sense of what is necessary and of what is right. This frame of mind is not always easy to sustain. It's not always easy to attain. But it is important that the minister understands that consciously doing God's work God's way without judging God's methods relieves him of responsibility for the outcome. God sets the course and God himself takes full responsibility for all outcomes. The minister of God is not responsible for the outcomes. That is important to understand. <laughs> With a group of ministers, one of the guys is an evangelist, street evangelist. And for some reason, uh, street evangelism is not as productive as it used to be. And so not many people, are, well, maybe not even, maybe nobody's getting saved through his ministry in the last five or six years. He was very down about it. And I said to him, you're not responsible for the outcome. What are you saying to people? Well, that Jesus Christ, Son of God, you're preaching the gospel message? Well, then why are you worried about the outcomes? You're doing your part. You're not responsible for saving people. You're just responsible to repeat the message. Are you preaching the message? Yes. Well, then you've done your part. Why are you worrying about the outcomes? Just do what God has told you to do, and whatever is success or failure, only God really knows what is success and what is failure. You don't even know what is success or failure because you don't understand the full picture of what God is doing. The outcome is not your responsibility. Your ministry is successful in God's eyes if you do your ministry the way God has commanded you. And if you say it the way that God has told you to say it, you're successful. And when God measures the value of your service, God is not going to grade you on how many people you brought to Christ. God is not going to evaluate you on the level of your influence or your ability to bring people together. The success of your ministry before God will be measured according to your strict obedience to his commands. God will judge your service according to your obedience and according to what fruit it may have produced. Because only God truly knows why he sent you where he sent you. Only God truly knows why he had you serve in the way that he did. Only God really knows. So what's the purpose of Ezekiel's mission? What should be the measure of Ezekiel's success? God tells him what it is. This is what God wants to ensure. That the people will know that a prophet has been among them. That's all. <laughs> you don't want me to convert the sons of Israel? Yeah, if they get converted, good. But all I really want them to know is that a prophet 
has been among them. That's why I'm sending you. So that they will know that a prophet has been among you. That's what he said. That they will know that I have sent a spokesperson to minister to them. Whether they listen or not, Ezekiel, that's not your responsibility. Whether they listen or not, you can't control that. Whether they repent or not, God's purpose in sending Ezekiel is so that the people will know that God still cares. So that the people will know that God is still with them. Whether they want him or not, whether they listen or not, if Ezekiel measures his ministry based upon how many people listen, if Ezekiel measures his ministry based upon how many people follow him, he is going to be a very depressed minister. <laughs> because Ezekiel's not going to get many followers. Ezekiel's about to make a whole lot of enemies, is what he's going to do. God cares for the people. But God's care for these people is not going to sound like care. It's not going to sound like care. If you've read the book of Ezekiel, you know that God's care for these people doesn't sound like care. God's care for these people through Ezekiel's ministry is going to consist of chapter after chapter of hard medicine. Chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter of hard medicine. But it's good medicine, and it's the right medicine for their time. Even if the only two people who think so is God and Ezekiel. And so God anticipates then, God anticipates that the people are not going to be very welcoming to Ezekiel. God anticipates this. They're not going to be very open to hearing his message. So he wants Ezekiel, he warns Ezekiel in advance, he says this in verse 6, as for you, son of man, you are not to fear them, nor fear their words. Though thistles and thorns are with you, and though you sit on scorpions, wow, you are not to fear their words, nor be dismayed at their presence, since they are a rebellious house. After all, after all they are a rebellious house. But you shall speak my word to them, and he says this again, you shall speak my word to them whether they listen or not. Ezekiel's ministry is going to be hard on the people, and the people are going to make life very hard for Ezekiel. It's going to be painful for Ezekiel. It's going to be as painful for Ezekiel as falling into a bed of thistles and thorns that is infested with scorpions. That sounds like a lot of pain. And sometimes ministry causes you pain. Did you know that? Sometimes ministry causes you pain. Ministry is not always a flowery bed of ease. There is some pain and some suffering that goes along with ministry. There is some pain and some suffering that is involved in ministry. Yeah, it is. Like falling into thistles and thorns infested with scorpions. Painful. Excruciatingly painful. But it's not physical pain. 
It's emotional pain. It's going to get so painful for Ezekiel that at times, Ezekiel will want to turn back. At other times, Ezekiel will be tempted to modify his message to try to bring about some peace. Sometimes Ezekiel's loneliness is going to act like a hostage negotiator, promising him freedom from the torment if he would just back off of his message, change or modify the message, soften it up a bit, sugarcoat the truth just a little bit, and I'll give you some relief. And this is the temptation for every minister of God to go along so you can get along. This is the temptation for every minister of Jesus to go along just so you can get along. Hmm. To keep it simple, to keep it cordial and polite so as not to offend anyone. But God's message is sometimes offensive. And today, this is my own opinion, today like no other time since I have been born, today I can tell, I can sense that God wants to provide some strong medicine to this world and to his church. Medicine that not many ministers are going to want to administer for fear of losing everything from their membership to money to prestige and to honor, fear of loss is going to keep many ministers of God from delivering and administering the hard medicine that this wayward world so desperately needs. Hmm. But God warns Ezekiel here, do not fear and do not be dismayed though they reject you, though they cry out against you and try to sabotage and undermine you, do not be afraid. But the minister who needs to be popular, the minister who needs to have his name put in lights, the minister who cannot face setback, the minister who cannot accept adversarial relationships or cruel treatment, this kind of minister will compromise God's message and stand before the people in representation of his own self and of his own interests and not according to the interests of the one who sent him. This is that kind of minister who will cry peace, peace when there is no peace in heaven and there is no peace between God and his church and there is no peace between God and the, the people that he serves. This is the kind of minister who serves at the whim of men and not according to the prescriptions of God. And he does so for his own safety. And the problem with ministers like this, the problem with ministers like, like fearful ministers is that a fearful minister will lead many people astray. Not because he doesn't know the way, but because he is afraid to lead them in the right way. He is afraid of backlash. But as for us ministers, we will not be afraid we will be ministers to mankind under the direction of God and in accordance with the order that God assigns us. 
We will be ministers of God who follow the vision of God for our service to the world and to the church. As for us, we will not stray from the message that God has assigned us to speak. We will not stray away from the methods that God has chosen to employ through us. And in the end, on that final day, if we have been true to the calling of God and not compromise the message for the whims of men, we will be rewarded by God double for all of our trouble. For every thorn, we will receive a blessing. For every thistle, we will be given a reward. And we will wash away our wounds in the rivers of God, the rivers that bring healing to the nations. And until then, we serve at God's behest, brothers and sisters. We sometimes may suffer at the hands of men of corrupt minds and ill will. We may sometimes struggle under the burdens of rejection, discomfort, and even ostracism. And we accept these burdens as coming from the hand of God to make us weak. Because when we are weak, then Christ is strong in us. <laughs> we do not fear. We do not fear. And if you're going to be a minister of Jesus Christ, you cannot be afraid of the people that God has called you to serve. You cannot be afraid of stepping on toes or crossing people's lines because it's going to happen. Sometimes God calls his ministers to deliver hard medicine. Let's bring this into context then. You're driving down the street. You see a woman at a bus stop and she's crying. She looks like she's in desperate need. And you get out and you try to comfort her. What's wrong? What's wrong? Well, my husband wants a divorce. <laughs> Your husband wants a divorce. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Let me sit with you. What can I do? I just had one, I just had one affair. That's all I had was, oh, wait, wait, you had an affair. Yeah, and now he wants a divorce. What do you say then? What do you say to her? Hard. I'm going to lose everything. He's talking about taking the kids and everything, and I'm going to be left for that. Oh, well, stop with your problems for a minute. You had an affair. Let's deal with that. You committed adultery. You injured him. Have you repented? Have you repented to God? Have you repented to him? Have you tried to make amends? Are you willing to try to regain his trust? If the answer is no, then you're just getting a divorce and no one needs to feel sorry for you. You did wrong. You made poor decisions. And I'm not here to try to comfort you and make you feel better about your poor decisions. That's not what God wants to do. God sometimes wants to confront you with the truth and say, listen, that is wrong. You cannot do that. Could you deliver that kind of message or would you just say, well, you'll be okay. Everything will work out. God bless you, sister. Let me pray with you. God, heal her wounds. Amen. I'm gone. No, no. Sometimes we have to give hard medicine. Can you give hard medicine? Everybody, anybody can carry the message of grace. It's the easiest message in the world. Everything is free. Everything is free. Just come right in. Everything is free. God loves everybody. God really loves you. And it's all going to I could preach that message forever. But what about when God says, but I have one ought against you? I have a problem with you, Eric. What does the minister do? I'm not going to tell Eric that. I'm going to, no, that's going to make him upset. He doesn't want me to get involved in his personal business. That's, no, no. If you're a minister, you've got to carry the message, whether it's a happy message or a sad message. That's the role. That's the job. If you're afraid, you can't carry it. And that's what, that's what God is telling Ezekiel. Don't be afraid of their faces. You're going to have to say some tough stuff, man. 
you're not going to have many friends. And it can get very lonely. Ministry is not the big, cool thing that it looks like when you see the person standing up front. <laughs> it's the private conversations I have on the phone and through email that are the hard, the hard part of the work. This is the easier part. The difficult part is dealing with you individually. That's some work. That can be challenging. Sometimes you have to say things that you didn't prefer to say. Are you going to be a minister when it really counts? Are you going to lead people by the Spirit of God so that they can find freedom in the truth and not try to pacify individuals with lies or by skirting the truth because it makes you feel safe even though it could make them be damned? Tough choices. That's ministry. Let's pray. Father God, your word has rightly said that you are love. But Lord, we, all, we also know that you are a consuming fire. You are mediator and you are also judge. And as ministers, we recognize that we are responsible to face people and to face your people according to your impression and according to your thoughts toward them. It is a difficult and a challenging work sometimes to be a minister. Father, I pray that you'll open our hearts and allow us to be able to accept the call, the good and the bad, the difficult and the easy. That you'll give us the ability to speak truth without fear. That as the ministers of Jesus Christ, that we will hide ourselves behind the cross of Jesus Christ and not speak for ourselves, but speak according to your word and the impression that you give us in our own hearts that comes from you. We desire, Father God, to be the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ. We desire to be the mouthpiece of the Holy Spirit. Teach us how to yield to your spirit. Teach us how to be flexible with your spirit and to follow you wherever you might lead. Even if it causes us distress, even if sometimes it causes us despair. Help us to be willing to sacrifice our names, our prestige, our honor, and all that we have in order to be found faithful and obedient to your calling. We recognize, Lord God, that to abandon this kind of fear takes more power than we ourselves possess. But fill us with your Holy Spirit in which there is no fear. For where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Allow us to be free to speak for you, free to speak your word, free to say what is true, what is good, and what is right without fear of retaliation. So that we might bring your name glory in the earth and lead many sons and daughters to you for your glory and in your name. Amen. <clears throat>